Opening up the P&W mailbag today, new overtime rules, some NFL draft prospect comps, and what is driving the migration of talent from the NFC to the AFC in 2022? All that and more coming up right now. You're listening to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, your daily podcast on the National Football League, powered by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show. Brian Peacock and Matt Williamson at BD Peacock at Williamson NFL. Thanks for making us your first listen here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And yeah, your team is covered here. I know we're covering the whole league, but your team is covered no matter the sport. Right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Little bit of news before we dive into the questions. We had the, the two-part series of our dueling mock drafts. If you guys haven't heard that one, you got to go check it out next, which was Monday and Tuesday's episode. Each Matt and I had a separate mock draft, and we went back and forth. It was really fun to talk through the teams and talk through those picks, and it was my first mock of the season. I'm going to have at least one more with trades and stuff before the draft comes, and we're only a month away, so we only have four weeks of content before the draft actually happens, Matt. It's coming quick. I love it. Um, A little bit of news that we didn't cover yesterday was, before we get to the Twitter questions that we pushed back from Tuesday to Wednesday, was the rule change, the overtime rule change, Matt. And it's only for yeah. playoffs, and the, the league tends to do this thing where something happened and they try to make up for it by changing the rules. And I don't know if it'll, it'll you know, you can't get the game back that was, you know, we don't get more possessions of Mahomes versus uh, uh, Josh Allen in the playoffs, right? We don't get to have that back. But that's what the league is trying to do. It's like, well, you can't reverse history. I don't know if it'll ever come into play, if this will be a good move or not a good move. It's only for the playoffs. It's like, for me, yeah, sure. Make the playoff games last longer. Make the coin flip less of a factor. So I guess I'm behind it. But I I don't have any really hard feelings about this. Hot takes about the rule change. Were you really into the rule change? Do you care about it much? Not really. (laughs) I I mean, as a rule of thumb, I think it's a bad idea. And we've seen this a few times in the league where – Something big happens on a national stage, usually on the playoffs. So we have to do something to show we care yeah. and we're going to fix it. Um, but I like guess this the, is a positive. The you know, re- like, reviewing pass interference, right? And then they, right, un- they exactly. undid that. And they're like, that's actually not a good rule anyway. I wish, I wish we could have fixed right the one game, but you can't go back and fix that. Right. And there's going to be those instances. And I always feel for not only the players and coaches, but, you know, their families when you get eliminated in a game like that. I mean, it impacts a lot of people on a lot of levels and sometimes people get fired or they never play another game or, you know, I mean, but that's the life we chose, you know I mean? It's such as life. And sometimes the best team doesn't always win. Um, but I guess I like it. I mean, I, I've been asked 8,000 times. I'm sure you have too, you know, what's the answers for overtime. And I'm not smart enough to come up with an answer that I'm going to stand on the table for, but I guess this is an improvement. It's the closest to just playing more actual football to finish the game. And I like that because there's other, you know, the way right. the college does it and it can kind of be fun. But then you're doing like 30 overtimes with, you know, starting from the 20. And uh, and in these cases, when you get this deep into the game, there's less defense being played. And so, you know, in a lot of ways, what probably would end up happen is whoever won the coin flip still won that game because it just goes touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. And it still eventually loses. But I do like the idea that the other team has an opportunity to come back and score the equalizer, yeah. at least one equalizer, the team that loses the coin flip should get that one so i'm behind it i like the fair ups idea you know to relate it to baseball you know but that's obviously a different sport and um i one thing i do think is interesting i meant to bring up the other day is i win the coin flip i go down and score do i go for two 
and I like that. So there's more str- strategy yeah, involved this strategy, way. Yeah. Does the team yeah. that knows they can't stop the other team and the first team scores a touchdown, kicks a field goal, next team scores a touchdown. It's like, well, we can't stop them. Let's just go for two because they can't stop us either. Yeah, and if we don't get this two, we probably are going to lose, but maybe our defense makes a play. Right, you either win or lose on that two because you'll either be a point behind or a point ahead. Yeah, so therefore people are going to do, you know, I don't know this is a fact, but I think in general teams walk into a game with a handful of two-point plays that they're very comfortable with, and through the course of the year, you know, they don't run a ton of them. Are they going to expand that portion of the playbook? Maybe. I, I, yeah, and I guess I didn't really even think about the strategic part of it. That makes me like this rule a little bit more because there, mm-hmm. there's just like something extra, just one more layer of the onion to peel back there in overtime for these games. So, yeah, look, more go for twos, like th- that's like finality. Let's go. We're going for two and we're going to win this game. Yeah, and it certainly will be fun and it'll probably happen in the near future where Team A wins a coin toss, goes down, goes for two, they're up eight, and then Team B gets a ball, scores a touchdown. And then we're just on the total edge of our seat. Can they get this too? They don't have any more, you know, uh, the, the uh, decisions been taken out of their hands. I want to move into the Twitter Tuesday, which is actually Twitter yeah, Wednesday yeah. today portion of the podcast, Matt. And Christopher has a question. And I think I'm uh, in a much better place to answer this now that I've gone through the first mock draft and have, have done so much work on the draft in, in recent weeks. Uh, Christopher says that you always say that GMs, don't lie at the draft. So with eight teams not having first round pick for the first time ever, I mean that's a third of the of the draft, right? Or so quarter, um, yeah. a quarter of the draft, yeah. So does that mean this is the worst draft class in memory? Because teams are trying to—is this a factor of teams trying to get out of it, or is this a factor of teams sort of overvalued draft picks for a long time and are sort of the new school GMs coming back the other way? and starting to value draft picks less when they can get a bird in the hand and aren't worried about the cap as much, aren't worried about giving up some of those draft picks? Um, It's a great conversation because I think some of it's a perfect storm of the Rams are having great success without first-round picks. Maybe the Raiders and Dolphins, for example, say, we like that model. You know, we haven't drafted so great lately. I'll take Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams, you know, as my – uh, Jalen Ramsey type, you know, addition, and I've seen another team do it, so I'm more willing. And if it fails, I have a less chance of getting fired. I also think it's a perfect storm of last year, five first round quarterbacks in the first half of the first round. Well, people were jockeying and giving up first to go get the Fieldses of the world, you know. So uh, I, I think that has a lot to do with it as well, and. Probably, you know, to the answer to this question, I don't think it reflects extremely well on this quarterback class. I mean, it's not a ringing endorsement that I have to do everything possible to get Willis Pickett, Ritter, whomever. But I think there's two sides of that, too. It's not like (laughs) everyone always forgets if you make a trade, somebody wants the extra pick this year. It's not like everyone's trying to get out of the first round. Yes. Somebody's out there saying, I want the extra picks. Like and, Houston or, you know, aside from the top heaviness and, and maybe there's no generational pass rusher necessarily. And maybe there's no, um, you know, there's not top, generational receiver right, or, quarterbacks. You know. and, and so the top top is maybe a little thin, but this is a really deep draft class. So overall, if you talk draft class, this is a good draft class. I want to be drafting at the top of the second round going through that mock draft. There's first round guys that weren't 
in either one of our mocks, right? Plenty. So this is a good year to have day two picks. So uh, I don't think teams, I think it was just a, a lot of factors. I don't think teams were necessarily looking at this draft like they didn't like it. They just saw some things they liked more. Yeah, and again, I think last draft had a lot to do with it too. If you're going to go get fields, it's going to cost you this year. You know, there was a lot of targets. Um, I think this is a great draft, and I'm not sure if it'll happen on draft day or not, but a lot like the Orlando Brown trade where, okay, Kansas City gave up a first for Orlando Brown, but they got back a second, and they also threw some change to the Ravens as well. Like, I would like to be on the Chiefs side of that, where I get a player, I only move from round one to round two. To your point, the second day, I think, is going to be loaded with good players. Yeah, and I was just going to say, the the eight teams not having first-round picks means that there are teams with multiple first-round picks, which means there's going to be a ton of movement, I think, in this draft. So mm -hmm. I think you should buckle up after pick, oh, I don't know, five, six, you know, ten maybe. But, like, there, there could be a ton of movement in the middle of this draft, and maybe some teams getting up pretty early. So I think that's that's going to make for a fun draft. Instead of everyone just having one pick, I think there's less opportunity for movement there. So I, I think it'll be a lot of fun going all the way through the first round, where sometimes at the end of the first round you start to yawn a little bit. It's late at night. Mm -hmm. You've gone through a long day. Uh, there's going to be some fireworks all the way through 32, I have a feeling. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, my last note on this subject, and I know your Niners don't have a first-round pick next year. That belongs to the Dolphins. But I'll be very interested when this draft concludes how many teams no longer have their 2022 first round pick. You know, is this yeah. going to be a regular thing where I'll give you next year's first and a third this year to get back in the first round because I want to get a job or whoever, you know, and uh, <laughs> will there be a lot of future first dealt in the next month? We've called it the the new school GMs. We should call it the credit card generation of GMs with pushing cap stuff into the future, trading future yeah, picks, yeah. and we're seeing more and more trades that are you know two three years down the road, and, and those are the sort of trades ownership didn't allow to happen in the past. You you used to never see a trade that went two years beyond the current year, no. right? And we're seeing a lot more of that. We've seen a, a ton of twenty twenty four picks already changing hands. So. That's a, that's a really interesting wrinkle to all of this as well. So GM's not afraid, and owners are allowing them to put stuff on the credit card these days. Yeah, yeah, again. I mean, the cap's a perfect example. Just max out your credit cards, we'll pay it next year, and then do it again, do it again, do it again, you know. All right, ton of good questions here. Uh, one that we'll, we'll hit next about the Philadelphia Eagles. Do we trust Howie Roseman with those three first-round picks? Coming up. I've been telling you guys about Built Bar for a long time now. They've been great friends with the whole Locked On Network and really with my family, to be honest with you. We've been getting Built Bars for quite a while, and they don't last long around here. I mean, they uh, I've told you guys before, my wife's kind of a, uh, a chocolate snob, and she doesn't like a lot of the bars because of the, the waxy chocolate feeling. But um, Built Bars aren't like that at all. And, and if you haven't tried the Puffs, you're missing out on one of the best Built Bars that, in terms of taste, for sure. They're great. Uh, Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're a treat. And they, they too, of course, are covered in 100% real chocolate. Replace your candy bars with these. I mean, they're just better. I mean, a typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. I mean, so high protein, low cal, high fiber, low carb. Again, I mean, they blow candy bars out of the water. So here's what you got to do. 
Go to built.com, use our promo code LOCKED15, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and get 15% off your next order. So use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Thanks for making Peacock and Williamson your first listen every day. Don't forget to follow along with Locked On NFL, Locked On NFL Draft, all the great shows here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Coming at you Monday through Friday, free and available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. A good one here from Josh, and his fantasy football team name in the Peacock and Williamson Fantasy Football League was the Jerry Rice of question askers for a reason. He always comes up with good ones. We might have to go to a second one of his questions a little later in the podcast. Uh, But he says, how much do you trust Howie Roseman to get these first-round picks correct? His last five first-round picks were Devontae Smith, going in reverse order last year, Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager, Andre Dillard, Derek Barnett, Carson Wentz, and they spent a lot of extra picks to go get up and get Carson Wentz. Not exactly a murderer's row, he says. Some teams, you look at them and think, wow, that, that those are lethal cards in their hands to have those type of firepower. You know, the Ravens come to mind. They always have a lot of picks. Do we Are we going to fear the Eagles so much more after this draft than before? I tend to think we will no matter what, you know, just because that seems like such a nice area of the draft where you – I'm going to regret saying this because it's not like every player is going to hit. I realize that. But we just both went through that dueling mock draft. And drafting in that, what, 15 to 19 neighborhood, there's just so many options. You know, okay, I want Brandon Lloyd or I want Drake London or I want an edge. I mean, there's going to be something something to fill every need for them. It's not like they're in draft no man's land. That At least after the draft, and will they, will they hit or not, who's to say, I think we'll both be like, boy, the Eagles got a lot better today. Uh, Devin Lloyd, not Brandon Lloyd, by the way. You said Brandon oh, right, Lloyd, yeah. former... Uh, the old receiver. Yeah, former wide receiver who was uh, an acrobat. Some of the greatest catches in NFL history. He really was. I think he tried to have a music career after uh, he stopped playing football, by the way. I don't, I don't Odd think, career. Don't think Dude, it went his well. His highlight tape is really good. But yeah, you're right with the Eagles. And, and I would probably be willing to bet they don't pick at least in those three spots. And maybe they don't pick three times, period. So maybe they move that into the next year. And by the way, I don't think Devontae Smith should be on this list of bad draft picks either. He's no, going to be a really good player. I don't know if they have the surgeon at quarterback to take advantage of where he's at. Because I really like Devontae Smith mentally. And, and I've read reports of him this offseason and how detailed he is working on his routes. And how he's getting in and out of his breaks and selling things with just really subtle stuff and, and head fakes. And you know this is a Marvin Harrison style receiver uh he needs his Peyton Manning style quarterback you know and so we'll see if Jalen Hurts takes that next step for the Eagles which is why I think maybe they push some of their picks into the future so they may need to find out they go draft a quarterback next year um and who knows maybe they add another uh wide receiver to the mix here even though they've missed on some in the past but Devontae Smith is really good and the more surgical his quarterback is I think the better pro career Devontae Smith will have yeah I mean even if it costs me Burks or London or Lloyd or Jermaine Johnson or somebody like that, I'd be a lot more comfortable with a second first round pick in my back pocket going into next draft. Yes, I, I would feel the same way. And really just, you know, you kind of want to, you don't want to have three big contracts coming up, even if you hit all three of your right. players in this draft. So I think from that standpoint, it would make sense to move around a little bit. And they could move down from one of these picks. They could move you know, 10, 12 spots down, still be at the end of the first round, add a pick next year and still have three first round picks. So there's a, there's a lot of things they could do or they could just go all the way up if they want. They can, they can go anywhere. So that'll be a fun team to watch. No, they, they, 
them and the two New York teams really have a lot of power in this draft. But Howie Roseman just got <laughs> extended, so I, I don't think ownership sees it the same way as Josh does about how his drafts have been poor recently. Or they don't, I don't care. think he's doing a bad job. And I, I was gonna, I mean, you beat me to the, Don, the the Smith thing. I think that's definitely a little harsh to say that, that he didn't do, use that pick properly. And I can still even defend the Wentz move. I mean, yeah. they won a Super Bowl. And Derek Barnett wasn't a terrible pick. You kind right, of right. realized that he was, you know, a snap jumper in college and it didn't quite play in the NFL. And his workout numbers showed you, which is why he fell a little bit. He, you know, he wasn't a top 10 pick after all. But you started to see, ah, maybe he's not got that extra bit, which is why that kind of stuff matters. When you see a player who's really productive in college and you learn a lot of lessons in the draft when you follow the draft closely for as long as as we have Matt and Derek Barnett's a perfect example it's like okay he got away with that just beating you know college tackles off the snap you get into the NFL you need a lot more and he just didn't have the total package of athleticism and everything else to become that edge rusher that they hoped they were getting and yeah the Carson Wentz thing started great and then just went really weird like that's a hard career to explain Carson Wentz and that's not even done being written yet now with him being in Washington Right, it might get resurrected. Who's to say? Um, your snap jumper conversation. I always think of Vic Beasley. I think he's like the yes, prototype yes. there. You know, I mean, uh, I I do think edge rushers, combine numbers, athleticism is as important at that position as any. But it's also like a pitcher in baseball. If you only have one pitch, you're doomed. Even if it's the 150 mile an hour fastball. I mean, every tackle in the league knows what you can't do, and they make you do it. Yeah, you got to be able to adjust the adjustments. And yeah. you've got to have a motor that's nonstop to, you know, put all those things into place. Because sometimes you've got to go to three or four moves on the same pass rush. And you've got to have that, you know, that tenacity to, to bring that every down to be a really great pass rusher in the NFL. Yeah, these, these established tackles are smart. By the way, another one here, Andre Dillard. That's the comp for Charles Cross in this draft which is why I think maybe Charles Cross yeah. could start to fall a little bit, you know, uh, really good with the pass sets. What One of those, you know, Mike Leach air raid, sort of a, an offensive tackle that doesn't see a lot of man moving in the ground game. Will that scare some teams off of Cross because of what uh, Andre Dillard's pro careers look like? And he looked like a, a very similar prospect to Cross coming out. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's got yeah. everything. Really athletic, pass set, really good. Will he be able to run block? And it turns out, you know, didn't turn out great for him. No, 100%. And... In a way, that gets washed over because they found Malata so much later on yeah. the cheap, which was just a home run. I mean, that that's a pick-of-the-century type of move. But I wonder if Dillard, I mean, could on draft day, could someone offer them a pick? Because, I mean, they're not going to pick up his fifth-year option. We're getting that fifth-year option time where uh, I don't know how you'd bring him back. Oh, no way. Yeah, so at, at some point, I could absolutely see him on another roster. Yeah, yeah. How about from Bobby Scoops on Twitter? He says, let's hear your NFL comps for the following incoming rookies. I should have sent you this one. I don't know if oh. you've seen it. You were tagged in this. I don't know if you've done any work. I'm but... bad at comps. Okay. Let's, let's I, fight through it. We'll do it in real time. I think comps are kind of fun, so we'll see if we can Oh, I do, too. Ones. I think they're useful. I'm just bad at them. So okay. these are for some wide receivers in this draft class. Traylon Burks, Drake London, Chris Olave, and running back Brees Hall. Okay. I'm going to throw... I'm going to throw a comp out there for Drake London first. And I've talked about this with my guy, Eric Crocker, who hosts uh, Locked On 49ers with me. He also hosts Locked On NFL Draft. And the comp for Drake London always seems to be Mike Evans. And I think it's a pretty good comp. And we'll still see what Drake London runs. But there was a top 10 running back, or top 10 wide receiver that was drafted and never ran a 40 time. And it turns out his top speed wasn't great in the NFL, but he had a really nice NFL career, had great ball skills and things like that. Michael Crabtree 
is an interesting comp for Drake London, mm. too. I think somewhere between Mike Evans and Michael Crabtree. And I want to see Drake London run, but I'm a little bit worried about his top speed. And I think if a team drafts him, I saw Kuiper had him going four overall to the Jets. I just think you'll yeah, be disappointed if you draft him that high. I think he, he should be belong in that first round range. I'm just not sure if it's in the first half of the first round because I'm not sure about his speed yet he's going to have his pro day his own personal pro day i think in april at some point very late in the process and that tells me he's trying to get that down and it's probably not a great number if he's mid four sixes i'd be a little bit worried about drake london you know if he gets into the four or five flat range even creeps into the four fours and i've heard it could be either one of those things so i don't know what to expect but uh, he's kind of a build-up speed guy and it might be a little disappointing like Traylon burke's top speed was at the combine yeah um I think Evans is too rich of a comparison. I think Evans is a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. I think Evans is quicker than London. And bigger, 6'5", 230. You know, London's a little right. bit more lean than that, more basketball. Yeah, player. and I also think on a go route, I like Evans more than I like London. You know, And, you know, I'm not suggesting he's Kelvin Benjamin. I like your Crabtree one. I was kind of thinking Michael Thomas, you know, contested catch specialist. Not super quick. I understand he's taller than Thomas, but he's never going to – his highlight reel is not going to blow you away. But I, I could see him moving the chains time and time again, ending the year with 95 receptions, you know, going to the Pro Bowl. Uh, my problem with London – I have two things. One of them's my fault is he's just been a little bit out of sight, out of mind. So him and Corral and people like that, I think you start to drop just because you've been seeing more from the others that they're yes. competing with. But I think what plays more, which goes back to your Devontae Smith conversation, are separators, route runners, you know, because you don't have to be as physical at that position as you did in the 80s where they just beat you up at the line of scrimmage. I don't know that he separates that well. Right, and not huge after the catch. And the guys in the right, NFL are going right. to be a lot better at defending those you know, 50-50 balls and those contested catches than they were in the college game. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely some red flags with Drake London and – um, you know, uh, that's why Crabtree, I think, was a pretty good comp for him because in the mm-hmm. end, you know, not high-level athleticism was a really good player, uh, but, you know, not dynamic of an athlete and maybe disappointed as a top-10 pick, even though he had a, a solid career. Any Allen Robinson to him? See, I think Allen Robinson in a short area was really it's underrated, better. but he ran a poor yeah. 40 time coming out. I think there was some injury involved there, but Allen Robinson, for a big guy, can get in and out of his breaks like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. But he's good in the in the catch point, too. So, yeah, kind of close. you know. And it's never like a perfect comp, but I, I think we're right in the right range with Drake London, right in the, in the middle of those guys. I'm not good at these comps. Who are some <laughs> of the other ones there, Tom? So, <laughs> hold on. I'll give you a chance to think about these, and uh, after the break we can see what we have with Traylon Burks for a comp. It's a tough one. Uh, Brees Hall running back, and then wide receiver Chris Olave. And what is driving the talent migration to the AFC? All right, let me talk about rockauto.com. They do amazing work. And with all the increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need for your car, truck, whatever, at a traditional chain storefront. It just makes no sense. So a lot of you do a lot of work on your cars, and it makes a lot of sense financially or as a hobby or whatever you got to check out rockauto.com because their prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear, like airlines do, for example. 
Um, rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. They have everything you're looking for. Uh, I mentioned that the prices are always reliably low and same for professionals as they are for you guys. So why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So here's what you do. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available. Write locked on in their how did you hear about us box. They know that we sent you. That's locked on, two words. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Chris Olave, Traylon Burks, and running back Brees Hall. Let's finish the wide receivers first. Uh, I know a lot of people before the draft, and I think it's just because of the year that Debo Samuel had. Everyone's trying to find the next Debo, and I've seen a lot of people comp to him. Traylon Burks was as well. Burks is much less explosive in a short area, yeah, even I though like you know that. he's well-built and, and thick. So I see the thickness comp. But I think my comp for Burks isn't a good one for Burks, but it's Nikhil Harry, who was drafted in the first round a couple of years ago by the Patriots and has been a big disappointment, sort of a, a more of a build-up speed player. I like Burks more than Nikhil yeah, Harry. Yeah. I wasn't, I was, I never really saw it that much with, in fact, Nikhil Harry almost is a good comp for Drake London too, by the way he won in the NFL, sort of dunking on guys in the Pac-12 and it didn't translate to the NFL. Burks is more physical and Burks doesn't really get caught from behind when you watch him on tape, even though he didn't blow anybody away with his athleticism of the combine, only, you know, 32 inch vertical, which I think was on par or maybe even a shorter vertical than uh, Jordan Davis had as a defensive tackle, right? So it didn't wow at the combine, but when you see him play, his play speed's a little faster, but Again, short area, not great, but he's so physical, and I think his top speed is better than Drake London's because you don't see him get caught at all. So he has some uh, run-after-catch ability because of his physicality, and he does build up some speed eventually. But, um, yeah, a comp is hard because there's just not that many big-bodied receivers in the NFL anymore. Right. I've heard the Debo ones. I can't give that to him. I mean, Debo, to me, is much more explosive, better change-of-direction guy. The one that a lot of people threw out there was A.J. Brown. I'm sorry, A.J. Brown's a much better wide receiver. Yeah, you know I mean, just I think if I'd you just look at the height, weight, speed, and how thick they're built and how strong they are, I think A.J. Brown can start to be a pretty good comp because A.J. Brown's a little bit less explosive than Debo in the short area. Might be a little right. faster, though, in the long speed than Debo uh, and faster than Traylon Burks, and I think a better receiver, better route runner than Traylon Burks, but... The physicality there and the size and the imposing nature of their body type, I could see A.J. Brown is, is somewhat of a comp for Burks. I've seen it thrown out there, but boy, I think that's pie-in-the-sky thinking. I mean, A.J. Brown, to me, is a top-10 receiver and maybe much better when healthy. And I'd much rather line up as a corner against Burks than Brown all day. And see, know? here, the the funny thing is, is it, it's the harder it is to find a comp, I think worries you more, right? With Drake London and Traylon Burks. You can't, yeah, it's like, who who has won in the NFL that's really like him? And when it's harder to find that, kind of worries you a little bit. You look at Chris Olave, you could probably, you know, six feet, 190 pounds, you can compare him to a lot of guys. You know, is it uh, Stephon Diggs or... Uh, know, as I wrote down, Devontae Smith and Stephon Diggs. Yeah, like, right. I mean, there's a lot of people uh, who have won that are built and have the movement skills and, you know, the ball skills and the, the package of Chris Olave. Mm -hmm. that, let's go back to Burks then, because that's kind of what I was thinking here. See, this player doesn't, com doesn't compare at all to Burks, but I would much rather have Percy Harvin. You know, like, I look at Burks and think, wow, there's a lot there to work with. And he's got giant hands and he's big and strong and he's way bigger than a guy like Harvin. But is he dynamic enough for me to manufacture touches for him 8 to 12 a game? You know, that I do specialty plays for Burks. 
for Harvin, I will all day long. You know what I mean? Like Debo, I'm doing it all day long. You know, it Burks, does the defense want me to throw him a bubble screen and then they come up and tackle him with two guys and drive him out of bounds and we pick up three yards, you know? Are we underrating the physicality part? Because we underrated DK Metcalf and his teammate, A.J. Brown, coming out of school. They both went in the second round. They should have been first-round picks all day. Is that going to happen to Traylon Burks? He did miss my first-round mock, and I thought I would get him in there at the end of the first round, but he might go in that same exact range, early second, that A.J. Brown went in. So maybe we're kind of underrating what he has in the physicality department. Who knows? Chase Claypool? Yeah, Okay. I mean, he gets some end around. Yeah, because people were trying like to say, yeah. "Oh, Chase, Chase Claypool needs to convert to tight end," and then he ran. He then he ran in workouts. He's like, "Well, it's pretty dang fast. I guess he can stay at wide receiver." And it turns out mm-hmm. that's where he absolutely should have been. Claypool. Yeah, again, I'm not great at, at comps. Well, I think how about this one? I for think free these oh, and uh, and I want to give credit to Bobby. He brought some of these out because they're difficult. So Burks and, and London mm-hmm. are difficult to find comps with. What about Brees Hall, the running back? I was thinking about like a Miles Sanders that can do everything quite well. That doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement, but I think Sanders is very, very talented and just hasn't put it all together. I'm just talking about physical profile. And actually what we should do, there's a site out there, Mock Draftable, where if you're just not familiar with it, it what they do is they have like a spider web of who did – uh, combine very similarities. You know who, who the most similar dudes that you've seen are. So I, I, I urge people to check that out. You know, I mean, you can just type in a guy. Like I'm going to put in Brees Hall. Okay, actually, here we go. I'm one step ahead of you. I, I started good, searching good. for some of these just physical combine comps, and these aren't play style. These are just height, weight, speed, arm length. You know, what are the most similar right, right, right. players? The spider web. So the most famous of the similar players here, 80% similarity score, Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I was looking at that. Okay. Joseph Adai. Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Interesting one. Donald Brown was a first-round pick. I'm looking at that one, too. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, there's I, some I bad it. ones too. Rashad White and Justice Hill that didn't do much in the NFL. Oh, Rashad Hobart. White's in this in this class though. Mm-hmm. No, so I mean, some of them are just you know what you did at the combine, which worries me a little because you know Jonathan Taylor was not a receiver coming out. You know, I mean, the, Jonathan Taylor's not a real comparison to me. I mean, uh, I, I think Hall's a good player, but Jonathan Taylor's like a souped up, you know. Chubb. Can I say, like <laughs> yeah, can I say here though that uh, the most interesting name right now to me on this list because I just watched him was Pierre Strong Jr., running back out of South Dakota State that's in this draft class. He is right there with Jonathan Taylor as an 80% similarity score. He is an explosive running back. I think he led all of college college football in runs of 50 plus yards. He had 10 of them this year, and but he wasn't involved in the passing game. Like, if you want a poor man's version of Jonathan Taylor. Pierre Strong on day three is one of my favorite prospects, and and I, he popped up on this list, and I bet he's even more of a similar player to um, Jonathan Taylor when you look at his comps. So very interesting. This guy is more my spot. wheelhouse than than comps, to be honest with you. So it, I'm so glad you just brought up Pierre Strong because when we're done recording here, I'm going to do three videos in a row for Steelers.com, and what we've been doing now is revisiting position groups and one of them is going to be running backs where riser faller sleeper 
Strong's my sleeper. I mean, I, I, and sleeper is such a bad word anymore. Sleeper was cool when I was a kid and no one even knew what the internet was. And, you know, you, no one knew what a South Dakota state running back was. Now everybody knows you everybody. Can watch him, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's kind of an underrated thing. And I think Strong's going to be a, a really good pro. I remember in my early draft Nick days calling schools like that and trying to get them to send me VHS tapes of prospects. And they never returned yeah. my calls. You know, they never returned my sure. emails because I was just a dude uh, on the Internet trying to find, uh, you know, tape of guys that you maybe could f- have seen one game of during the fall. And you remember this guy being great. But, you know, before the draft lead up, you didn't have a chance. You just read other people's scouting reports or saw the combine. And that was about it or got some pro day information. And now I can see every run of Pierre Strong's career. This is, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but when I was at Pitt, you know, every day, 30, 40 VHS tapes show up. I'd have to watch them all and see if there's anyone good on there. That was basically my job. So every two years, we would throw away all the old VHS tapes. You'd tape over them like once, but after a while, they got too grainy. Well, I would take them home. And I had VHS, I had VCRs set up all over my house, and I would record like every possible game I could Saturdays. And then after the season, I'd have like 300 videotapes in my own private library, pull out Michigan State week three, you know, and watch their running back or whatever. Like that, (laughs) same thing you were doing, you're basically trying to do, you know. I'm going to answer Nick's question for both of us. What's your favorite part of the offseason and why? It's, uh, he says, free agency, draft, OTAs, training camp, preseason. That's the draft. That's a draft. That's the yeah. draft. I mean, I don't think we have to say every why. five minutes something big happens. <laughs> I love the draft. I've I've always geeked out on the draft. I don't know why, uh, but it's always really really excited me. I think it it really boils down to the early two thousands when Bill Walsh came back and was GM of the Forty ers and they traded down when they had a a top three pick in the draft. And remember that was the Lavar Arrington and Chris Samuel draft mm-hmm. for Washington, who ended up taking two picks in the top three. Forty ers traded down. Thought it was going to be Chad Pennington, ended up being Julian Peterson and Ahmed yeah. Plummer. And it was just like the trading. And I remember Bill Walsh being so good with team building when I was a kid, you know, and the stories of it. And then, you know, that kind of got me really into the draft when I was, you know, old enough to understand sort of what was going on there. And, I, and I've just been hooked on the NFL draft ever since. And that's a big part of why I do what I do as a career is because just how into the draft and team building I got at a young age. Me too. I mean, it, it, it's my favorite thing in the world. You know, I mean, draft day this sounds horrible, but I've made the joke at Thanksgiving and stuff. I'm like, Hey mom, I hope you don't pass away around the draft. Cause I'm not going to make <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you got to time these things out properly. And, and you know, I, I almost always have this annual conversation. And one of the earlier questions revolved around it a little bit. My favorite part of it is cause I really think now with, you know, accelerated free agency, that first week of free agency mixed with the draft, if you know what you're talking about, which I think I do after these years, you can read the tea leaves and these teams don't lie. You know, they may say things differently, but where they put their money tells you all you need to know about what they think about their team now, the future, their current quarterback, you know, where the state of the team. And I think that's unbelievably fascinating when you peel back that through 13, 32 different team eyes, you know. Really quick, what do you think? This is from Jared. What do you think is driving the talent shift from the NFC to the AFC? I don't think – I think it's total coincidence. It's just competition. It's like a magnet. You know, the stronger the yeah. magnet gets, the more it attracts. And so your opponent gets stronger. You're trying to compete with them and get stronger. Happened in the 90s, you know, with the Cowboys and the 49ers and the Packers and them trying to outdo each other because if you want to win, you've got to beat the the team – 
next to you. And if that team got better, then you try to get better. I think that's yeah. that's all it is, just a natural progression there. And it's not so much that the NFC is losing talent, is that the AFC is just taking whatever they can get. And the NFC teams kind of had already gone through this and, and how powerful the NFC was. And, and it's really sort of shifted to the AFC just because those teams are trying to outdo each other. And part of it's just a natural regression, too, that if the NFC was stronger five years ago, then guys like Burrow get drafted early and they ended up on one side. Yeah, that's right. So I, I, Burrow and and yeah, uh, and Justin Herbert all. and all those yeah. guys get drafted on that side and it starts to shift and then it'll eventually creep back the other way. Yeah, I mean, let alone Lawrence to uh, Wilson that haven't hit yet. We're all early picks from the AFC. I, I think it's mostly coincidence, but I do think to your point, if you're in the AFC West and you're Denver – Maybe you'll give a little more for Wilson because you're looking at the teams around you, or you'll pay a little bit more for Devontae Adams because you look at the teams around you, or would the Steelers trade up further than they should for Malik Willis because now we got Watson, Burrow, and Jackson in our division, you know? Fascinating stuff. There is so much movement in the NFL so much going on on a daily basis and of course draft season is always fun as we've laid out so uh, Matt and I have you covered every day with everything going on in the league we will continue our draft coverage as it gets closer and closer inside a month now to the 2022 NFL draft beginning in Las Vegas still some big time free agents out there I think we've got to check in with Matt and yeah check in with different teams different positions in the draft go through those things as we approach April. Fantastic stuff. Thanks, everybody, for making us your first listen, by the way. For your second listen, check out Matt doing Locked On Dynasty. I'm doing the Locked On 49ers podcast daily. If you're not a 49ers fan, that's okay, because your team is covered right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Matt and I back tomorrow right here. Peacock and Williamson.